Well, I have to tell you, I am really excited that after last weekend and after we talked about last weekend that so many of you came back. <laughs> that means that you were praying and that God has been hopefully laying on your heart and stirring inside of you. And if you weren't here last weekend, I would encourage you to, to go back and listen to the message. It was online. You can watch it, the video, or listen to it, the audio version of it. Just because, as I mentioned last week, we're taking a little, a little break from our verse-by-verse study through the Word of God for, for three weeks. And I want to share with you guys something that God's really been laying on, on my heart. Again, that, that we're, we're not in Surprise, Arizona by accident. And what has happened in Surprise, Arizona over the last 20 years, this explosion of people moving here, isn't an accident either. And God desires that all men come to repentance, all come to know him. And there's so many people around us that don't know him, that are going through life just just blindly following what the world has in front of them. And I believe that God has uniquely placed us here because he wants to do a work here. But bottom line, and this is the question I posed last week, if not us, then who? But if he's going to use us, we need to, we need to understand how that's going to work and what that's going to look like. So we we're looking at the parable of the Good Samaritan together. So if you'd turn with me again to Luke chapter 10. Last, last time, again, we, we talked to the fact that, that the first piece that we need to have is we need to have compassion, as this Samaritan did towards the man. So let's, let's read through the parable again. Again, familiar to most, if not all of us, but, but let's pray again as we're reading through this that God would speak to us individually and as a body together. So Luke chapter 10, beginning in verse 30. Jesus replying to the question, who is my neighbor? He said, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell among robbers. And they stripped him and beat him and went away, leaving him half dead. And by chance, a priest was going down on that road. And when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. Likewise, a Levite also, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But, verse 33, a Samaritan who was on a journey came upon him. And when he saw him, he felt compassion. Verse 34, notice, begins with the conjunction and, which ties directly what happens next to the fact that he saw him having compassion. It says, and came to him and bandaged up his wounds, pouring oil and wine on them. And he put him on his own beast and brought him to an inn and took care of him. On the next day, he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper and said, take care of him and whatever you spend, when I return, I will repay you. Jesus then asks this question, which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell into the robber's hands? And the response was, the one who showed, him mercy, showed mercy toward him. Then Jesus said to him, go and do the same. We spoke last week again about compassion. What compassion is and what it isn't. Compassion isn't just sympathy. It isn't just pity. I gave you the definition last week. It is a sympathetic consciousness of another's distress together with a desire to alleviate it. It goes beyond just feeling bad about someone. It's coupled with this desire to, to, to alleviate the problem, to be part of the solution. 
And we talked about the fact that in order to, to do that, to have compassion, we need to look through different lenses. We need to see as Jesus sees. We need to see who Jesus sees. And we see, I mentioned, it's mentioned several times, that word compassion, speaking of and describing Jesus, how he felt towards those. And it describes those he was looking at that were sick, that were hurting, that were blind. One instance, even seeing a demon-possessed person felt compassion for that person. Now, interesting, with that, with that particular element involved, we can easily look at those that are radically different from us, those that dress in ways that make us turn away and involved in things in their life that just repulse us, right? I mean, we can look at that and say, oh, I can't do that. And we all, we, we might even have people like that in our extended family. And what do we refer to them as? The black sheep of the family, right? Not a, you know, but let me just remind, some of the Lord just laid on my heart as I was going through this again, preparing this week, black sheep, are still sheep, and they need a shepherd. And so we have to be careful as we're looking through, the again, the lens of compassion, seeing who Jesus sees, how Jesus sees. Again, we talked to that last week. He saw them with compassion because he realized their deep underlying convict or condition, way beyond the surface stuff. The fact was they were sheep without a shepherd. But I want to take this a step further today, moving from compassion to passion. It's interesting, when we look at the definition of passion in the dictionary, it says an intense driving or overmastering conviction. That takes this compassion, this desire to alleviate it, and an overmastering conviction is a move or a call to action. It is stepping into the situation with them. It's interesting, the second definition of passion in the Bible, or I'm sorry, in the dictionary, describes Jesus suffering in death. It is so closely linked with the word that it's even a definition in the dictionary. His suffering and death on our behalf. And again, as I mentioned, he's the perfect example of compassion. He's also the perfect example of passion who stepped into the situation with us, even taking our sin upon himself to the cross. And we see this man now, this Samaritan in our story, he felt compassion. But notice it says, and came to him. He got involved in the situation. He came alongside him, bandaging him up, pouring oil and wine on his wounds. As we continue our look now, transitioning from compassion to passion, how we get involved in this, I want to look at another very familiar story to most, if not all of us. So if you turn in your Bibles now to Matthew chapter 14. Matthew chapter 14. And beginning in verse 13, we're going to look at a story, again, familiar to most, if not all of us. Interesting little side note on this particular story we're going to look at. It's the feeding of the 5,000. It is the only miracle other than the resurrection of Jesus that is recorded in all four of the Gospels. Significant. And let's take a look at it together. Let's, let's start now in verse 13. Now when Jesus heard about John, he withdrew from there in a boat 
to a secluded place by himself. John referenced here is John the Baptist. He's been, he's been executed. Jesus now re- hears the news. He, dis- he you know, feeling, feeling sorrow for that and de- a desire to just get away by himself to spend some time there reflecting. When the people heard this, they followed him on foot from the cities. And when he went ashore, he saw a large crowd and felt compassion for them and healed they're sick. I want to stop there for just a moment before we get too further into this. Notice again, Jesus was trying to get away. He needed some, some time to, to heal, to, to, to reflect. Again, one of, a, a good friend, a, a John the Baptist, has been, has been executed. He receives this. He's busy. He's been doing a lot of just to get a, a pullback, a little, a little R&R time, if you would, maybe. And here, as soon as he lands, he sees all these people. And notice his response again, his reaction. Felt compassion for them. Philippians chapter 2 says this, beginning in verse 3. Do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility of mind, regard one another as more important than yourself. Goes on, Paul, in Philippians there, and again, Jesus is our perfect example of that, who didn't regard equality with God something to be grasped, but emptied himself, becoming, putting, become the form of a bondservant, becoming one of us. Well, we see here that he sees the large crowd, he sees this, he feels compassion for them and healed their sick. Verse 15 When it was evening, the disciples came to him and said, This place is desolate, and the hour is already late. So send the crowds away, and they may go into the villages and buy food for themselves. But Jesus said to them, they do not need to go away. You give them something to eat. They said to him, we have here only five loaves and two fish. And he said, bring them here to me. Ordering the people to sit down on the grass, he took the five loaves and the two fish, and looking up toward heaven, he blessed the food, and breaking the loaves, he gave it to the disciples, and the disciples gave to the crowds. And they all ate and were satisfied. They picked up what was left over of the broken pieces, 12 full baskets. There were about 5,000 men who ate besides women and children. So estimates place the number of people that are there between 15 and 20,000 people. 5,000 men, but women and children there as well. Imagine the scene. 15 to 20,000 people coming because they know Jesus is there. And Jesus has been healing them and ministering throughout this group of people. And it's getting late in the day and... No doubt, they've you know, again, come from a longer way and they're, 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 they're hungry and people may be talking about this and the disciples hear about it and notice their, their initial response. There is a concern there. I mean, we can dismiss what the disciples said just because, of, because we know how the story plays out, but don't forget the disciples didn't know how the story was gonna play out. And they had concern for the people and they come to Jesus and say, Jesus, there, there's a lot of people here and they're hungry So before the stores close in town, why don't you send them away so they can get there and get some food? I mean, there's some genuine concern there. But guys, again, we're talking about going past just genuine concern to compassion, a desire to alleviate the problem and get involved in the solution. And Jesus says, they don't need to go anywhere. You feed them. Now, 
Just a little, to stick something in here, between verses 16 and 17, I mentioned that there are all, this is recorded in all four Gospels. And John and Mark give us a little bit of, of additional information to fit in here. I'd, I'll just read it to you if you're a note taker. It's John 6, verses 5 through 9. Um, and uh, you don't need to turn there, I'll just read it. It says, Therefore, Jesus, lifting up his eyes and seeing that a large crowd was coming to him, said to Philip, Where are we to buy bread so that these may eat? This he was saying to test him, for he himself knew what he was intending to do. Philip answered him, 200 denarii worth of bread is not sufficient for them for everyone to receive a little. Now Mark, verse 638, says this. Jesus at that time said, how many loaves do you have? Go look. Picking back up in John, one of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, said to him, there is a lad here, a little boy, who has five barley loaves and two fish, but what are these for so many people? Now it's interesting, and I want to jump in there a little bit. It says that Jesus asked these questions to test to kind of float it out there to see what the response would be. And it says he knew what he intended to do. And that's a, that's a really poor translation of the word that is there. What he intended to do makes it sound like, like it was still kind of a question as to whether it was going to go down or not. Guys, any intending action of Jesus is an impending action of Jesus. It's going to happen. The only thing that was left up for any type of, of debate or what might go down is who's going to be involved in the distribution? Who's going to be involved and come alongside Jesus and, and walk in faith and move along as, as he's going to do what he's going to do, what he's already planning on doing? And the disciples are given the first opportunity. But he didn't, guys, here's the breaking news flash. He didn't need the disciples to do what he was about to do. He could have easily taken that and boom, and all of a sudden in everybody's lap, there's their food. He could have used birds to, to disperse the food and bring it like he used for Elijah. I mean, he could, God can do anything however he wants. He's choosing to give the disciples an opportunity. He could have used that little boy and all of his friends. He's given the disciples an opportunity to get involved. Now, it's interesting when we look at the responses of Philip and Andrew. Philip's first response when Jesus asks him the question is he looks at the magnitude of the problem and he says, even if we had 200 days wages worth of bread, we couldn't feed all of these people. The problem is way too big. And Andrew, when he looks at it, he takes inventory of what they were able to, to gather together and five loaves and two fish. He goes, well, this is what we got. But what is that compared to the problem? He looks at the, at the resources and says they're too small. And guys, we have to be honest. Again, put ourselves in that situation. We could say, what, are you, what is wrong with these guys? Haven't they been watching Jesus all day long, healing people and all of this kind of stuff? What did, why did they question anything? But again, remember, we know the end of the story. And so they bring this to him, and they're like, well, this is too big, and this is too small, and you know what? They're right. The problem was way too big, and the provision way too small. The situation was impossible for them. But a situation that is impossible for them is him possible because he's God. 
He's the creator of all things. He's the sovereign king of the universe. So they bring this, the, the situation, and I love this again. Jesus says, go do an inventory. What is it that you have? Tell me what you have. But notice he does not say analyze what you have. He does not say assess what you have. He simply says, how many loaves do you have? Go look. <laughs> what do you have? And then he says, bring it to me. And I love all those little subtle things in this, in this story that is here. Here's this little boy. He's got five loaves. Now, we're not talking big old, you know, loaves of bread. Probably little biscuits and two fish. Not giant tuna. Probably a little larger than sardines. I mean, we're talking a little boy with his lunch. And part of it that, it, that, that I love in, in this, a little subtle read between the lines thing, if you would, it says that it's late in the day and he's been so enraptured by what Jesus is saying and doing, he forgot to eat lunch. He's ca so caught up in it. But, and, and now it comes around and they're saying, what does anybody have? Does anybody have any food? And he goes, well, the faith of a child. <laughs> I have this. Could you use this? And... Andrew's reaction, well, let me see. <laughs> Jesus, this is what we got. Well, what is this among so many? There was no question from the little boy that if I give all of this, if I give all of my lunch, there's not gonna be anything left for me. Maybe I'll, maybe I'll just give him four loaves and a fish and I'll keep one for myself. No, he said, here it is, here's all I got. And then it tells us this amazing thing. It says that Jesus took it, he blessed it, he multiplied it, and he gave it. And then he uses again the disciples in the distribution process. And I, I again, let's just, just put yourself in the situation. Just imagine this as it's playing out. It, Jesus didn't create a huge mountain of food and then said, all right, everybody, create two lines and you just come on in and buffet style. No, it says he had them sit down in groups of 50, we're told in another gospel, sit down in groups of 50, very organized setup. And then the 12 disciples, he said he just kept on giving it to them and they would take it, give it to where they were directed, go back and get more. Come back empty-handed, get some more, take it out, deliver it. Can you imagine the eye contact as they're walking by each other? Can you believe this? I, and then coming to the people as they're sitting there and they're bringing it because most of them that are out there, again, remember the magnitude of the people. They didn't see what's going on up there. There's 20,000 people sitting in groups of 50. Can you imagine how big that is? So they don't see what's happening. They're just getting the provision and they're like, oh, hey, thanks. And the disciples gotta be going, oh, you have no idea. <laughs> but this isn't me, this is from Jesus. But I'll take your thanks back to him. <laughs> Here you go, and, and going back. And guys, maybe if some of you are already connecting the dots, but guys, this is exactly what I'm talking about. There is huge need around us, way bigger need than we even have any idea of. 
It's all over. There's hunger for the truth everywhere. And if we're simply willing, because like I said, God, I, I believe God already has an impending plan to reach our community. The, the, the question is, are we going to be the ones that he's going to use? Or are we going to just gather together in our own little group of 50? Are we going to say, you know what? Here we go. Because he can, he can use us and he will use us. But if we choose to say, you know what, we're going to sit this one out, he'll use somebody else. And we can, we can just be like Philip and Andrew. We can look at the enormity of the problem that's out there. And guys, it's huge. Like I mentioned, there's 125,000 people that live here and 60% of them have nothing to do with any kind of church or anything like that. That's an enormous problem. And we can look at our resources and we could say it's too small. I mean, what is, what is it that, that we could do to really change all of that? And guys, let's just be honest. The problem is too big and our resources are too small. The situation is impossible. But guys, it is him possible because he's God. It's not us that's gonna be doing it. It's gonna be him doing it through us. But then just like them, we need to say, all right, take an inventory what do I have? What is it that I have that if I put it in Jesus' hands, he can do things with? And we could be just like that little boy and say, well, it's not, not very much. But guys, look, the, the Bible is full of stories. And I, I could spend a long time going through this, but look at what, look at what, look at what God did with, a, with, with, with one young man and a slingshot and five stones. He said, I don't, I don't have much, but I got a slingshot. What he did with one, with one man and a, and, a, and a staff, as God looked on the children of Israel, had compassion for them, uses Moses to take them out. They come to the Red Sea. Impossible situation. Hold it out. And what God did with that, all I got is a stick in my hand. What is it that we have that we could just say, all right, God, here it is. And if we're willing to do that, whatever it is that, God, that we have, whatever talent, whatever ability, whatever it is, whatever resources that he's, he's given to us, we say, all right, here it is. And then he takes that, and then he, he blesses that, and then he multiplies that, and then uses us to distribute that and to, and to pass it out, again, for him to get the glory. Ephesians 3.20 says this, now to him who is able to do far more abundantly beyond all that we ask or think according to the power that works within us. I love that verse because it says far more abundantly beyond. I mean, he's using all of these words to describe, guys, here's where, where we put the ceiling and it's far more abundantly beyond that what we could ask or think. I don't know about you, but I can ask a lot. I can think really big, but nowhere near as big as God can. Can you, can you just imagine if God does this work and he involves us? Can you, I, I would just love on Sundays to be coming back in and we're getting together and we're like, can you believe this? 
Can you believe what God is doing? And as we're sharing and talking with other people, they're like, they don't, they don't know what's going on, but they're like, wow, thank you. And we could be like them and say, hey, you know what? This is all God. Matthew 5, 16, let your light shine before men in such a way that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. They see what we're doing, but he gets all the glory because it's really truly him that is doing it. He's just letting us be in on what he's already planning on doing. Again, he didn't have to use the disciples. He could have used birds. He could have used whatever. He chose to use them. Guys, he doesn't have to use us. But that's how he does it. And you can jot this down. You can read it through yourself. We don't have time to go through it and break it down too much. But Matthew 25, Jesus tells another parable. And it's the parable of the talents. And it tells us there, and it, I'll just kind of give you a, a quick overview of it, but it speaks of a very wealthy master who is going to leave for an extended period of time. And he calls some of his servants, some of his slaves together, and he entrusts them with talents, different talents. It tells us one he gave five talents, another he gave two talents, and another he gave one talent. Now, before you go feeling too bad for the guy who only got one talent, a talent was equivalent to 15 to 20 years' wages. So even one talent is a significant thing. And it tells us that the one who received the five talents, he immediately, after the, the master left, he went to work with, that, with those, that talent, those talents that he got. And it tells us that over the time, he doubled it, and when his master came back, he gave him 10 talents in return. He said, you've entrusted me with this. Here's what I did with it. And it gives it all back to him. And the master says, well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of your master. The same with the one who had two. He went out immediately and he started using it and started multi using it and, for the and two more. And so he brings back four to the master. And again, same response. Well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of your master. Now, the one who received one, it tells us that he... He said, you know what, I, I know that you're a harsh master and all of these types of things, so I was afraid that if I, if I messed this whole thing up, you'd be re really, really mad, I'm paraphrasing. So I, bur I buried it. Here's your talent back. And the master says, you wicked and lazy slave. <laughs> he takes the talent from him, gives it to the one who had five and now ten. And guys, in that, and again, there's all sorts of different things we can draw from that, but specifically here. Guys, if you are a born-again believer here in this room, God has given you a talent. He's given you a gift. He's given you something that he has entrusted you with. And you have a choice as to what you're going to do with it. Are you going to invest it? Are you going to use it for his kingdom purposes and trust it, giving it back again to him and saying, all right, God, you use this. You use me in this. You get the glory. You get the increase. Or do we just simply hold on to it and hoard it for ourselves and then we'll just wait till that day? All of us have been given as a, all of us have been given time. Every single one of us have been given the same amount of time. All of us have been given abilities. 
passions. Not all of those are the same. All of us have been given resources, financial, material resources. Not all of those are the same. Interesting in the parable of the talents. The talents were not the same. He gave one five, one two, one one. But guys, we're only, we're only responsible for the talent we're given. But we are accountable for the talent we're given. And notice the response too. It wasn't, it wasn't that the one that got the five, had the five, made it 10, got a greater reward in the end. Notice it was the same response from the master. Well done, good and faithful servant. Not good and productive servant. Good and faithful. Guys, we're just called simply to be faithful with what God has given us. Individually, as God has given us these things, we simply offer them back to him. We give them to him and we say, this is, this is yours. Do with it what it is that you desire. He's looking for faithfulness. It's interesting when we look at, at the disciples those that he used in our story today, those that he used and then eventually he would send out and these guys would change the world. <laughs> he didn't choose the guys from the top of the rabbinical schools. As a matter of fact, he chose the ones who no other rabbi would pick. The reason that Peter, James, John, and Andrew were fishermen is because no other rabbi picked them up. They went through all of the other things that all of the other kids their age did, but after you go through a certain level, rabbis would choose their students to continue on. And if you weren't chosen by a rabbi, then you would go back into then your family business. They all went back into fishing because no rabbi chose them. Matthew, he was a tax collector. He couldn't even get a job as a fisherman. He had to be a trader and go and, and join the Romans and, and start collecting taxes. That's who Jesus chose. The ones that the world put aside. And you know, that, that blesses me. As a matter of fact, Paul, the one whom had, had probably had the, the worst resume considering, he writes this about in, in 1 Corinthians, for consider your calling, brethren, that there are not many wise according to the flesh, not many mighty or noble, but God has chosen the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God has chosen the weak things of the world to shame the things which are strong. The base things of the world and the despised God has chosen. The things that are not so that he may nullify the things that are so that no man may boast before God. That's who he chooses. That's who he empowers. That's who he equips. Because so at the end of the day, we're saying, this isn't me. This is all God. Paul will write in 1 Timothy, one of my, one of my favorite verses in, in all of the word, 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 12, I thank Christ Jesus our Lord who has strengthened me because he considered me faithful, putting me into service. Even though I was formerly a blasphemer, a persecutor, a violent aggressor, yet I was shown mercy because I acted ignorantly in unbelief. And the grace of our Lord was more than abundant with the faith and love which are found 
in Christ Jesus. Guys, he doesn't, he doesn't bring us on because of our past performance. He uses us because of our future potential. What we can do in and through him. If we're simply willing to do what the disciples did. Here's the inventory. Here's what we were able to find. Give it to him. Let him do what only he can do. And then allow us, guys, here's the deal. We're distributors. We are not manufacturers. It's not up to us to, to come up with all of this stuff. We simply distribute what God gives to us and, and give it where he directs us. I've used this, this term before, but to me, I just, I, I, I love it. it it's, it's something that he sh- showed me a while ago that I just so embrace. I love this idea because, guys, we speak of this, that these things are eternal in nature, that God has planned these things out beforehand that we would simply walk in them. But when we do that, we take a blessing from his hand and we give it to somebody else, We're simply a broker in the transaction. Guys, we're blessing brokers. We take it from God's hand as they did. They take it from Jesus' hand. They go out and he says, oh, over here. All right, here here you go. As he directs. And we go back for more. Get it? Okay, over here. All right, okay. Go back for more. We're blessing brokers. And guys, the commission is awesome. Ephesians 2.10, we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand so that we would walk in them. His workmanship, his works, what he's doing. So how do we take take a parable and put it into practice? How do we take something philosophical and make it practical? You know, it's interesting, Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, you are not lacking in any gift. You are not lacking in any gift. Now, each one of us can own that individually and say, God, whatever it is that you're going to use me for, whatever it is that you desire to use me, I can trust you that I'm not lacking in anything that I need in order to fulfill that. But guys, there's also a corporate element to that. Paul was writing to the church in Corinth, and he says, you are not lacking in any gift. And guys, here's the the flat-out truth of this thing. If God is going to use us out there for his purposes, for his kingdom glory, in this room, we are not lacking anything that we need. It's all right here. He wouldn't be calling us to do something and go out and do this if he didn't equip us and give us what we need. Now I mentioned we've all been given time. Now I wanna talk about that more next weekend. But we have all been given abilities. We have all been given passions. We've all been given these gifts, but they are not for us to hold on to. And like I said, next week we're going to develop this a little bit more. But in the meantime, I asked last week that you pray for lenses of compassion, right? That we'd have a heart to see of compassion. This week, I want you to be praying for passion. God, what is it that you desire to do in me, personally? 
how do you want me to be used by you to reach this community around us? Praying for passion, specifically for those things. But I'm gonna tell you right now that we're, we're, where we can, again, all be praying along this lines. And by, first of all, can I just ask anybody who serves in children's ministry here at Calvary Chapel Surprise, would you please stand? Thank you. Now stay, hang on, just stay standing real quick, real quick. Okay, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14. Thank you. Guys, we have over 350 children that come here on an average weekend. 14 of you just stood up. Now, any poking, any feeling right now is purely convictional. <laughs> we have, we have, we've done the run, we've run the numbers, we've done this. Our children's ministry, we have a lot that help out in, in different areas. 34 people serve regularly in our children's ministry. 34. On any given weekend, we have about half of the volunteers that we would really desire to have to, to do everything that we want to do in children's ministry. You want to talk about a way that we can reach our community? When families bring their kids, we can love on those kids. I'm not asking for teachers. We got teachers taken care of. I'm just asking for people to love kids. How many of you are grandparents? Okay, how many of you, hang on, hang on, how many of you love your grandkids? Okay, I won't, I won't make you keep your hands up, but how many of you could love somebody else's grandkids? Once a month? That's a way we can reach our community. Because I'll tell you what, the impact that Awana kids have on their families, the impact that our after-school program has on families, when they accept the Lord, they go home, they're reciting Bible verses, they're, mommy, mommy, listen to what I learned. You're telling me she's not listening? Tell me the gospel isn't it getting into homes through kids? And guys, if we simply love on the kids and teach them about Jesus, here, here's, I've said this before and there's still, there is no excuse. And again, if this is making you feel guilty, good. <laughs> there is no excuse that we should not have a waiting list to serve in children's ministry. So, pray about that. There's an online application. We do a background check. And again, we're not looking for teachers. We're just looking for people to love kids. That's it. So this week, pray for passion. I'm excited for what God wants to do, guys. But again, we're having this, this is a family decision. So compassion, continue to pray for that heart. But pray for passion. God, what is it specifically that you want me to do? Personally, individually. Would you please stand with me? Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we, we again, as we, as we think of what it is that you desire to do, the fact that you are still moving, that you are still desiring 
for revival, that that is your heart. Lord, we praise you for that because it is your compassion followed by your passion that saved us. But Lord, we understand. We, your word is clear. We, we, we know through your word and through you revealing yourself to us that for some reason, you desire to use us in the process. We are still here for a reason. But Lord, more specifically, we're in Surprise, Arizona for a reason. So Lord, we ask again that you would continue to give us your eyes of compassion so that we would see those around us as you see them, as sheep without a shepherd. And not just seeing them, Lord, but give us that desire to be involved in in fixing the problem, in bringing you, that you're the solution to everything that they need. Allow us to be involved in that. Lord, give us a passion. Give us a burden for them, but Lord, give us specifics. How do you want us to do that? We know you've uniquely gifted each one of us, Lord, and that's for a reason. So speak to us this day, this day and this week. As we worship you now, Lord Jesus, we thank you and we praise you in Jesus' name. <laughs>